Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great. Good evening, everybody. Is everyone doing well? Hello, Enu. Thanks for greeting me back. I really appreciate it. It's really good to be with you. Is everyone still surviving the term? Students, are you surviving tests? No. Okay. Adults, are you surviving adulthood? No. Okay. Um, any other form of or, or seasons of life that is being represented? I think it's just basically students and adults. But it's good to be with you. Um, and we are speaking about money. How exciting is that? Quickly tell your neighbor, money talks. And then tell them, money talks to you. And then ask them, are you listening? And are you obeying? All right. So we are in week two of our three-week series, Money Talks. Next week, we're concluding the series. But basically, we're looking at three statements that if money could talk, and when Jesus did talk about money, these were the things that he ended up saying. These were the statements that he made and how that parallels with what money would say if it could talk. So last week, we looked at how if money could talk, it would say, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. All right, so I'm a means to an end and you should use me accordingly or otherwise things will explode in your life. What I want to look at tonight is how if money could talk, it would say that I am a much better servant than I am a master. All right, and how that parallels with what Jesus said about money when he spoke about money. So tonight I want to help you to redefine your relationship with money. All right? So we're going to have a little bit of a DTR. Do you know what a DTR is? Define this relationship. All right? So quickly turn to your neighbor, tell them, are you ready to have a DTR? Okay, are you ready to define this relationship? Now, I remember many years ago um, when I was still at school, there was a girl who moved in on the opposite side of the street, all right? And so we took note of each other, and so we started waving to each other when we'd see each other. Then that advanced into and developed into, we actually introduced ourselves to one another, which ended up in us becoming friends with each other, which ended up that we all know we actually ended up dating. So about two or three months into this dating relationship, this girl tells me she has to speak to me about something. Now, guys, when a girl tells you that, you need to know something's bad, something bad is on its way, okay? This is, this is not good news for you, all right? So don't get excited about it. Get very, very scared about what they are about to say. So two, three months into this relationship, this girl pops me a message, we need to talk. And so she sits me down, she looks me in the eyes, and she says... I don't think we should continue in this relationship. And then she went on to make the very cliche statement that we've all heard. What? How did you know that? <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm brilliant in knowing what you guys will come up with. Exactly. It's not you. It's me. And that sucks, girls. Don't tell us it's not, it's not us. It's you. That doesn't work. It doesn't mean anything. It just convinces and convicts us that it is us, in fact. And I know to this day that it was me. I'm still just not sure what it was about me that she did not like. But tonight... 
you need to sit money down, look it in the eye, and say this very cliche statement to it. It's not you. It's me. Because 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 confirms this. It says it's not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. So there's nothing wrong with money. There's something wrong with your relationship with money that needs to change. And that I'm hoping to help you to redefine that relationship tonight. Forbes magazine actually published in 2015, one of their 2015 editions published an article where they claimed that authority is linked to depression. Okay, what that means is this. They found that in people who were in control of large amounts of money and large quantities of people, in those people, depression increased by at least 20%. It actually goes on in the same article to link this to the notion and the trend amongst A-list celebrities who grow in wealth and grow in impact, even some of them more impact than some governments in this world, but they reach a point where they own and can own everything that they would like to own, but the end of that game is them ending up in depression, some of them attempting to take their own lives and others succeeding at taking their own lives. Because when I'm in control, things seem to go wrong. Which leads me to believe that God might not have created you and us, you and I, to be too in control of our lives. God did not create us to have too much control because it will end in disaster. And when it comes to our money and our possession, maybe it's not such a good idea for me to be at the head of my own financial means. Because if I am the boss, if I am the head that, that authoritates or that rules my financial means, guess what? My appetite will rule me, which means that money ends up ruling over me. Money ends up being in charge when I am my own master. Really, money ends up being my master. And so if money could talk, it would say this, I am a much better servant than I am a master. And I will always go where you send me. See, your money does not have a will of its own. It doesn't slip out of your bank account to go and have a party. Okay? It doesn't sneak out of your bank account to be spent on KFC or McDonald's. Your money only goes where you send it. What a brilliant lesson to learn tonight. If you did not know that, your money only goes where you send it. And this statement that money would make parallels perfectly with what Jesus said when he spoke about money in Matthew 6, verse 24, he starts the sentence and he says this, no one, and no one in Greek means? No, no one, okay? 
No one can serve two masters. And the word, the Greek word for master there speaks towards something ruling over you in terms of ownership. So it's saying no one, which in Greek means no one, can serve two owners. You cannot be ruled by more than one owner. And then it goes on to say, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then the also famous phrase that says you cannot serve both God and what? Money. So it doesn't say you cannot serve both God and the devil, which we expected it to say. It says you cannot serve both God and money. And the shocking statement from the scripture is that Jesus positions money as the chief opponent to lordship in your life. The one thing that will compete for rulership in your life is money. And Jesus is saying, you cannot serve both. You cannot have me and money in control of your life. In other words, you run the risk of being enslaved to your own money. So it's either I serve God or I will end up serving my own appetite, which would lead me to appoint money as the ruler and the master over my life. A good example of this is when you look at debt. Every single time you incur debt, you are rightfully by law giving someone or some place the authority to take a portion of your money every single month. And what else is that but slavery? And if you don't believe me, Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Every single time you put your name on a contract saying, I want to borrow money from you and I'll pay you back, you're giving someone the authority to rightfully be entitled to a portion of your income every month for the next 4, 5, 6, 20, 30 years. So am I saying don't have any debt? No. My question to you is, is your debt a result of you being led by your own appetite to acquire more possessions? Or is your debt drenched and immersed in wisdom and good financial practices being lorded over by the king who is in control of your life? Because if debt is something immersed in wisdom and good financial practices that has Christ at the head of those decisions, I want to tell you, go for it. But if your debt that you're sitting with today is a result of you being led by your own appetite to acquire more things, I want to tell you, money is busy mastering and ruling over you. And God wants to set you free from that. It's not His will for your life. See, banks love lending you money. They make it easy for you to acquire and to lend or to borrow money. And if you will allow it to, money and you, your pursuit of money will master you. It will be a very lousy master, but it will be a master nonetheless. It will lead you into things that might cause you great anxiety, stress, fear, worry things that God has not intended for you to experience. So my question to you tonight, 
is who's your daddy? <laughs> Let's just let that linger. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but my question to you would be, are you enslaved to your money? Is money ruling over you or are you using money as a means by which your pursuit of God can be enhanced and you can be encouraged to be more obedient to God through what you own and through what God has entrusted you with? Because the reality and our aim as followers of Jesus is this, that I'm always looking for ways in which my money can serve my pursuit of God. And ways in which my money can enhance my obedience to the king that I've committed my life to. And if that is not your reality, someone else or something else will compete and contend for that position in your life. You see, our society has grown very intolerant of enslavement of one person by another. And when you look at the history of mankind, we've gravitated away from any form of slavery, whether subtle or very clear in our own societies. But the sad fact of our society is we have become very fond of enslavement and enslaving ourselves to the things of this world. It's a very subtle, very subliminal kind of slavery, but it's a slavery nonetheless. And every ad on television or on radio or on social media will encourage you to enslave yourself to the things of this world. And it's not frowned upon for one second. But God is saying, I'm frowning upon that. It's not my will for you. I want you to use money as a servant and not a master. I want to be your master. God is a jealous God. And to some of you, that might be a horrible statement. How can God be jealous? It's such an ugly feeling. It's such an ugly emotion. But God wants you to worship and adore Him and Him alone. He doesn't want you to adore a future where you have wealth that you can't even count. He's jealous of that. And if you call yourself a Christ follower, God will not allow you to serve money as your master. Never. He will always look for a way in which He can become the master and dethrone wealth and money from his place. So your self-control will determine who gets control. If money could talk, it would say your self-control determines who gets control. And so when I have control, when it's me first and God and others second, bad things start to happen. Galatians 5, 16 to 17 and 22 to 23 says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, Paul is writing, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The moment you appoint money and your own, um, your own, what do you call it, your own appetite. Thank you, Lorraine. With the moment you appoint your own appetite as your master, you are doing exactly what Paul is saying not to do. You are gratifying the desires of the flesh. And then he continues in verse 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Here's how you will appoint money as your master. Do whatever you want. Give your appetite free reign in your life and money will become your master. And Paul is saying, 
Don't live your life that way. Don't walk according to the flesh. Walk according to the spirit who is in conflict with the flesh. And then in verse 22, he goes on to say, but the fruit of the spirit. Here's what will happen when you appoint Christ as the master of your life. He says you will see love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then the kicker, self-control. Says that will be a fruit of the Spirit when you appoint God as the master over your life. The reality for you and I, and this morning in our fusion, our teenage ministry, after we've had a discussion about money, one of the teens put up, puts up his hand and he says, but does God not want us to have nice things? Does he not want us to live in beautiful homes, drive beautiful cars? Does he not want us to flourish financially? And my response to him is he might. For you, he might. For the next person, he might not. But this is what I know. God's heart is not to take your stuff from you. He doesn't want to see you impoverished. He doesn't want to see you just getting by. He doesn't want to see you have lack. And that's a promise that he gives us in his word. But God knows exactly what you know, which is that no human being wants to be enslaved by an appetite. None of us want to be enslaved by an appetite. And we can ask the question and open up the discussion tonight. And some of you might say, listen, I can't stop eating this or I can't stop doing this. But the reality is, although those things might bring temporary joy, when you're really honest with yourself, you just want to say, I don't like being mastered by this appetite. I don't like being led by something that brings me back to the same place over and over and over again and only provides a temporary sense of fulfillment and joy. I read an article during the week about the history of taming wild animals and wild cats specifically. And the article said that in 1833, a man by the name of Isaac van Amberg entered a cage with a lion, a tiger, and a leopard for the very first time in human history, and he came out unscathed. And they spoke to him, and they studied his methods that he used to tame these animals. And he said the only method he could come up with that was effective was that he beat the animals into submission. So he literally took a crowbar, and he would beat these animals until they would be too scared to act out against him or against anyone else. And he based his whole theory and his approach on the scripture in Genesis 1 verse 26, where he says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then a few years later, a new guy steps onto the scene called Clyde, and he comes up with a completely different approach to taming wild cats. And he said the only things that he needed to tame a wild cat, number one, was a whip, not to beat the animal, but for the noise that it made, for a gun if something really goes wrong. And then the third thing that was his most effective tool in taming a wild cat was a chair. Because he said he found that if you put a chair next to these wild animals, how they perceive this chair, four legs floating 
in the air completely takes their mind off of their appetite to want to kill you and eat you. Very random, I know. It's strange. See, but throughout all the methods that I read on, that has been used in the history of mankind to tame wild animals, the one thing that was always the challenge, the one thing that determined whether an animal was tamed or not, is whether you could overpower his appetite to hunt and kill prey. If you could manage to tame the appetite or to overpower the appetite, whether through fear or reward, you tame the animal. And it's exactly the same with you and I. We need something that can tame our appetite. You and I need something to overpower the natural appetite that you and I have to spend what we have been entrusted with on us, on ourselves. Because if you don't tame that appetite, the appetite will tame and it will hunt and it will kill you. It will completely destroy you the moment you decide to appoint money as the master over your life. And if you've not realized it by now, you need to be aware of the fact that companies have made it very easy for you to spend your money. They are setting you up to buy now and think later. To commit to something now and deal with the consequences later. I'm not against buying things that you like. What I want to get to is what or who governs the way that you spend your money? Is there a governing force that you use to determine where your money should be sent? Because if you are first, if you are the only person, the only force who, that determines where your money goes, here's how your spending will look like. Your number one priority would be to live. Your number one priority with your salary would be to pay the things that you need to pay to survive. To spend the money on the things that you would like and that you've convinced yourself you need. And if there's anything left after you've lived off of, off of the money, the next step would be to save some, to just spend money again on yourself just in a different form and call it saving. And then in the very rare instance where there's money left after you've lived on the money and saved of the money, just maybe you might end up giving away some of your money. Andy Stanley calls it the me first living with some leftover giving. But I'm the center. I'm first. I'm the master. I'm the ruler. My appetite rules me and it appoints money as my master. See, everyone is at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern, which ends up making it their ultimate. When money is all you can think about when you lie in bed at night, when it's all you can think about when you choose your career path, it might be a sign that money is busy moving onto the throne of your life and it's governing the way you make your decisions. Two years ago, money started having a conversation with me 
I remember I was working for a church, and in this church, they paid me 5% of my salary and left me to raise 95% of what I would earn on a monthly basis. In the five years I was doing that, I saw God giving me breakthrough in intense ways. My faith grew, and I believed that God was who He said He was. But early in 2018, I took an 8,000 rand salary cut in an instance. It opened the door and money started speaking to me. It told me things like, putting God first in your money is not a good idea. Putting God first in your money is an irresponsible thing to do. You have a wife that you need to look after. Don't be so irresponsible. And it started convincing me to start pursuing it instead of the purpose that God had for my life. And the enemy knocked on my door and he made me an offer for my calling. He put a price on the table saying, I want to buy your calling from you. And I told Anel at the end of 2018, it was around about November, I told Anel, if God does not come through in the next six months, I'm leaving ministry, I'm figuring it out myself. I'm going to find a job that will pay me. I'm going to find a source that will actually stay true to its word. I want to find a space that will secure me financially. I think it was literally two, three weeks later, after I've made that statement to Anel, where God miraculously came through. Out of nowhere, he just brought breakthrough. And today I'm still trying to recover not to put money on the throne. Because I've seen what it means to have very little. And I want to tell you tonight, the enemy has an offer ready for your calling. He will pay big bucks to see you step out of the calling that God has for you. And I know times are tough. I know it's difficult to be a student, to be an employee in South Africa. But what that has done to you young people is when I consider the career path I should take, the number one consideration is what will give me the biggest salary. Where will I earn the most money? Where will I be able to secure for myself a good financial future? And it's just, it's become easier to just completely take God out of the equation and even ask the question, what has God called me for? And I want to encourage you to strongly consider whether you have accepted the offer that the enemy has made on your calling. Whether you have taken the envelope of cash or whether you've taken the financial way out or whether you've taken the job based on the salary and God is nowhere near the decision that you are making for the future that you see for yourself. See, Scripture might say that we cannot serve both God and money, but I believe we can serve God with our money. We can use it as a means by which we serve our King. In Matthew 6, Jesus speaks about the link that there is between worry, anxiety, and money. And He's saying, if you make the deal with money to be your master, it comes with a package deal. It comes with worry. It comes with anxiety. It comes with fear. It comes with a lot of stress. But then He gives you a completely different deal. He says, if you want to appoint me as the master over your life, 
If you want to appoint me as the king over your finances, let me give you the way out. Here's the different deal. Here's the better deal. In verse 33, he says this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's the promise. All these things. Provision for what you will eat, for what you will wear, for where you will sleep. He says will be added. I'll just add it to you. The main thing is that you put my kingdom first. And I'll add the rest. I'll give you the rest. I'll give you everything you need. And he flips the script completely. And he says, when you want to be truly financially free, stop trying to look for it. Stop trying to pursue it. And where the world might convince you that if you are worried about your future financially, do something about it. Worry about it. Invest more money. Focus more on the problem. And Jesus is just saying, if you really want to be financially free, just let it go. Just stop pursuing it. Just don't build your life around money. Gloria Steinem says it this way. It is more rewarding to watch money change the world than to watch it accumulate. See, the kingdom of God, when Jesus says, seek first my kingdom, he's saying, put me and others first in your money. The way you budget, put me and others first, not yourself. See, the way of the world is that I leverage the resources that I have to generate more resources for myself. But Jesus is flipping the script and he's saying, the way of the kingdom is that you leverage the resources I have entrusted you with so that others might benefit from it first. God is not saying, forget about yourself. Don't spend money on yourself. It's not an either or thing. It's a what comes first and what comes second. And you and I can never be first. If you want to destroy yourself, put yourself first. Because if you put yourself first, you will have to tame your own appetite. And it's impossible for a lion to tame itself. It needs someone to rule and to master over it. See, when I put God and others first and me second, here is how I spend my money. I decide beforehand what I'm going to give away. It starts with giving. A kingdom mindset in your finances always starts with giving. So I decide on what I want to give. Number two, I decide on what I want to save because God has appointed us as stewards over our finances. And when I've given and I've saved, then I live from what is left. That's the way we honor God in our finances. See, for Jesus, it's not about your money. It, it never has been. It's about you. It's about your heart. It's about who you are mindful of. It's what you think about. It's what you adore. It's what you dream. It's what you set out as your goals. 
quickly for a moment think of a time maybe in your life where you've had to give a large sum of money away. Maybe you've never had to do it. Maybe just think about the prospects. Just think about the idea of you having to give two, three, four, five thousand rand away tomorrow. Some of you are just breaking eye contact with me. <laughs> just like, okay, but just ask yourself, what tension does that cause in your heart? What are the fears that pop up in your heart? What are the concerns that come to mind when you have these thoughts? And then follow those concerns and those thoughts because that will lead you to the center of this tension. And it will probably lead you to something like, but if I give that away, what about me? What about my needs? What about my expenses? And in that moment, you will realize that your money is not about your money. Your money is all about your heart. Your money is so connected to your heart and your emotions. It's just crazy. And then we don't wonder why Jesus spoke about money. We don't ask why the church speaks about money. Because we can feel how money is attached to our very being. And then my challenge to you would be, do you trust God enough to come and break that tie? For you to never ever ask yourself the question, how would I feel to give away two, three, four, five thousand rand? And you just go, if God says, then I do. There's no what ifs attached to it. When Anau and I first got married a few years ago, I told her that I want her to be, make our tithe payment, the very first payment that leaves our account. Before anything is deducted from our salary, I want her to make our tithe the very first payment. And I told her I want you to do it because I don't trust myself. And I'm very honest, I don't. Today, I still don't trust myself. Because I know there are some things attached to my heart. There's some connection between money and my heart that brings up a lot of what-ifs. For Arnel, pray for a wife like her. There's just no connection. And it's uncomfortable. <laughs> I want to end with a few thoughts that might challenge you greatly. I want to suggest to you that until Jesus isn't first in your finances, I don't think he really is first at all. Matthew 6:24, no one means no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, and I'm sure everyone in this room knows what it feels like to hate what God wants to do with my money, but to love what I want to do with my money. Or you will be devoted to the one, and you will despise the other. And I'm sure everyone in the room knows what it feels like to be devoted to your finances, and to despise the thought of God wanting me to give some of it away. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve God with your money.
quickly for a moment, think about how liberating it was. The day, the moment you decided to give over to God completely. When you trusted Him with your sin, when you made the decision to commit where you will spend eternity to God, think about the liberty, the freedom that came in your heart because of that decision, and then ask yourself the question, don't you want that same liberty in your finances? Don't you want to take everything that you own, that you have, and just give it over to God and say, Lord, I don't want the worry that comes with this. But surrender it to him. And he has the promise that he will liberate and free us from, from it. See, real financial freedom is not that I know that I'm wealthy enough to have more than enough for the rest of my life. That's not financial freedom. Because with that, you might know, you might be convinced that you will have more than enough for the rest of your days, but there's a lingering underlying worry that what if something happens and I don't have enough anymore? But God offers you real financial freedom, which says this, you will always have enough. And you don't have to worry about it. Which one would you choose? It seems like an obvious decision. Personally, for me, giving, giving my tithe in the seven, eight odd years that I've been doing it, it's not made me financially rich. It's done something even better. It's freed my heart from greed. Every single time I give, there's something in my heart where the enemy loses hold of my heart. And greed does not have a voice in my life anymore. Let's close our eyes. God doesn't want your money. He has enough. He has more than enough. He has enough to provide for you and every person that has ever been born and will ever be born. There's a deep desire in the heart of God for your heart. That you would trust Him with everything about you. But the reality is that if you have not surrendered what you have, you might not have surrendered at all. And maybe tonight is a crossroads for you where you want to say, God, I don't know how. I don't feel like it. But I want to commit to you as my master. I want to dethrone money and greed tonight. And I want to have you be the king of my heart. Won't you come and be my master? So, Father, I want to pray for every person. You know where they are at. You know what they're experiencing. And God, you're ready to take up your space in their lives, to be their master, to be their ruler. If that is you tonight, if you want to commit, not your whole life and your sins and all of these things, if you want to commit your money, your possessions, what you own to God tonight, I want to invite you to make a statement by standing.
And as you're standing, if there's a nervousness, that's normal. Because it means that something is breaking off. There's a tension where God is pulling you closer to him, away from the greed, away from the worry, away from the stress. And I'm not going to tell you what you need to do in the next few weeks. What I am going to tell you is ask God, Lord, you come and spend my money. You determine what goes where. So, Father, I want to pray for every person standing, Jesus. Thank you that you know where their finances are. You know their means. You know their lack. You know their wants. You know their desires. And I pray, Jesus, tonight that you would come and draw a line in the sand, God, that you would break the power and the hold of greed and possessions over their lives, God. And I pray that they would make a stand tonight to honor you in what they have, Jesus, to trust you not only with their sins and their worries, but to trust you with their money. God, and I pray, Jesus, that you would have them experience the liberty and the freedom that comes with putting you as our master. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.